Hello, today I'm talking with GT of GT Synergy fame. Hello, GT. Hello, how are you? I'm really well. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. I'm so honoured that you've taken time out to speak with me. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a real privilege to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. No, my pleasure. So, um, I visited LA for the first time in 2008, and I'm pretty sure that was the first time I had kombucha, and I'm really sure that yours was the first kombucha I ever drank. And I'm sure that's the same for probably millions of people around the world. You're probably their main introduction into kombucha. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to... You really pioneered the industry, didn't you? Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I never think of it and I've never thought that I was pioneering in anything. I got started at a very young age, actually at the age of 15. And of course, at such a young age... The idea of pioneering entrepreneurship or even just starting a business was not in my vocabulary. Um, so to answer your question, I got started essentially because kombucha was something that my mom and dad had been making in my household um, for a couple of years. I was raised by my parents who were avid vegetarians. I actually was raised a vegetarian out of the womb. And so kombucha was one of the many unusual things that my parents introduced me to at a young age. Um, and in addition to kombucha, there was, you know, tofu, wheatgrass, noni juice, chia seeds, fresh pressed juice, all of that, things that are now becoming increasingly popular today. Um, but kombucha was one that really stood out for several reasons. One is its unusual kind of um, preparation and personality. You know, as you know, kombucha is not something that you squeeze like a a fruit juice or something that you make, it, it's kind of all of the above. I mean, you it's very much a ceremony, if you will, um, and it's very unusual looking in addition to that. And so naturally it stood out to me, and um, what also stood out to me is how my parents quickly fell in love with it and became kind of religious drinkers of it and started making virtually a batch every day. And so we had about seven to ten batches in on our dining room table that was at literally at the entrance of the house. And so when you walked into the home, you would get hit with this very strong smell of vinegar, which of course was not fun or, um, you know, popular when I would have friends over. So it was definitely a subject of conversation. People would come over and be like, you know, dude, what's that smell? And, you know, what are those bowls in your dining room? What are your parents growing? And so it was, it was definitely something that was, um, again, a, a subject of, of much conversation. But really what allowed me to take specific notice on kombucha was not only its unique kind of ways of being prepared and, and cultured, but also its health benefits. And so it, was, it took about a, a good two years for me to understand its health benefits. And really what was the catalyst for that was my mother, surprisingly, and unbeknownst to her, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so she went to the doctors because she actually thought she was pregnant. And the doctors were like, no, Mrs. Dave, you're not pregnant. However, we have discovered a growth. Um, and it's in your right breast, and it's breast cancer, and it's very large in, the tumor is very large in diameter, and we believe this kind of cancer is very aggressive. And we believe you had it, you've had it for quite some time for as long as four years. And so naturally that kind of diagnosis was very traumatizing and very frightening for not only my mom, but my entire household. And so there was about a week or two where we didn't really know what was happening with my mom's health. 
until the doctors came back to us after their initial tests and said, you know, Mrs. Dave, we, we want to let you know that we were wrong. Not only has your tumor or cancer not spread, but it hasn't gone to the lymph nodes or anything, and the cancer tumor itself is in a dormant stage. It's pretty much precancerous. And they, right then and there, kind of confronted my mom and said, is there anything unusual that you're doing in your diet, something out of the ordinary Chinese herbs, Chinese medicine, something, again, very different than your typical diet? My mom, of course, responded, well, I am a vegetarian and I'm very athletic. Um, but in addition to that, in the last couple of years, I've been drinking this kind of pungent-tasting tea, and it makes me feel great. And I drink it every day, and I love it. And the doctors replied to her and said, well, whatever it is, continue to do it because your situation is pretty miraculous. And that was kind of the pivotal moment, not only in my life and my family's life, but also in kind of this, what began the beginning of a journey of, of making and spreading kombucha with the world. Um, and so it was my mom's story that actually inspired me to start to drink kombucha because up to that point, I had not been drinking it. I thought it was honestly just too weird. Um, then I started to make it myself, and I quickly fell in love with kind of the, um, call it the organic qualities about it. It felt very much like growing a plant. You know, you put time and energy and attention into it, but ultimately nature dictates the final result. And the only role that I learned that I was playing was basically a facilitator um, and a nurturer, which again is very much like, I think, a farmer tending to his crops. So that was it. I mean, that's the beginning of the journey, and I was just inspired by not only how kombucha helped my mom, but how it resonated with me and how I really felt that it had a um, very compelling reason that it needed to be in the world and be in the lives of others. So how did you start the business? Were you just supplying a few local stores and then you just built and built? Yes. So again, it never felt like a business, even though technically it was. I mean, my father, who's an attorney, formed, helped form the corporation. And um, I kind of on my own just designed a label and found a bottle and just started to make it from my parents' kitchen, brew it, ferment it, bottle it, deliver it. I was a one-man show. And, you know, granted, this is 1995, right? So there really was no such thing as Whole Foods or any kind of significant health food um, chain or presence in the marketplace. It was really just a little bit of these independents. And there was one store that's still in existence today called Air One. It's, it's, it's not, are you familiar with Air One? Yeah, of course. Yes. It's a wonderful, wonderful store. And that's the store that my parents would take me to as a child to shop and buy all our organic food and all of that. And so naturally, that was the first store that I sold, uh, that I approached to sell my... I knew that. Everyone's yeah. the best store in the world. It is. It's a wonderful store. Very near and dear to my heart. Amazing. So they were your first retailer? Yes. They were my first retailer. I essentially just called them up and said, hey, I have a product called kombucha that I think is something that your store needs. It's organic. It's raw. It's rich with enzymes and probiotics. Can I set up a meeting? And they said, sure, why don't you just come in tomorrow? And I was like, okay. So I dressed in a business suit and I brought a briefcase and my dad came with me for moral support. And, you know, I thought that I was going to go in and like sit in an office and really kind of wheel and deal. But it was a very casual and formal interaction. The buyer, whose name at the time was Coco, and Coco just brought me into this little like section in the um, kind of grocery 
dairy area of the store and just said, hey, tell me what you got. And I said, well, it's called kombucha. It's an ancient fermented tea. It's something that my family has been making and drinking for the last couple of years. It helped my mom with her breast cancer. And I think your customers need this. And I think it would be wonderful to have it offered here at your store. And he goes, great. And I was like, okay. And he's like, what's, he said to me, what's your price? And I, you know, gave him kind of the off the top of my head price expecting him to like negotiate with me and instead he's like all right that's great I'll take it at that price and then he was like when can you start delivering and I was like tomorrow and he's like okay great and I was like is that it and he goes yeah I'll see you tomorrow and so I was shocked I was shocked that you know I hate to call it easy but it was really contrary to what my expectations were again I thought this was going to be very much a negotiation and instead it was really just this is what I have do you want it yes or no and this is when I can start. Is that okay? Yes or no? And that's essentially what it was. And so that next day I made my first delivery and I you know, can't tell you how honored and proud I was to make something that I put my heart and soul into and that you know, essentially single-handedly designed. And then to see that kind of you know, concept and you know, life come to, to, to be, come to be a reality and see it on the store shelves of a store that I shopped at you know, that was really the magical moment for me. And that's when I really understood that this is my path, that this felt right. And this is the journey that I want to begin. I know it's, it's hard to say, but do you think, do you believe you were the first to produce kombucha commercially? I mean, in the world, I don't know, because, you know, obviously back then, we didn't live in the global market that we do today. So it wasn't just a matter of looking at Instagram or Googling kombucha to see what was out there. But I can tell you, at least in the U.S., I was one of the first, if not the first. Um, and again, that's why it was a blessing and a curse. I mean, the blessing was I didn't have any competition, but candidly, that wasn't the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge was educating people that this unusually looking and smelling and tasting beverage was healthy. You know, I think a lot of people, especially at that time here in the U.S., what was considered healthy was Snapple, you know, and then after that was vitamin water. And these, you know, were, were considered cutting edge health drinks. And you maybe had fresh pressed juice, but at that time there was really just Naked Juice and Edwalla and they were both figuring themselves out and they hadn't even really reached a very popular level of production and scale. So it was very much a, you know, blank canvas, if you will, and Again, selling something that, that was called kombucha and tasted the way you know, kombucha does was, was challenging at the time. And I must say there was a good, solid five years of just a lot of ignorance, a lot of uh, you know, um, lack of awareness, a lot of doubt and concern that you know, things that are fermented, things that taste vinegary are associated with something that's gone bad. And so I really had to educate buyers and consumers and essentially anybody and everybody that I interacted with it. No, it's supposed to taste this way. It's not bad. It's not going to hurt people. It's not going to get people sick. If anything, it's quite the contrary. It's going to make people healthier and it's going to detoxify them and give them a stronger immune system and just overall wellness. So how many flavors did you have in the beginning? In the beginning, I just had one. And it was, of course, just called kombucha. It didn't even have really a flavor descriptor. It wasn't until I realized that um, kombucha on its own, of course, was very, very unusual for people to embrace. So I thought, all right, well, if I could incorporate 
ingredients that are more familiar and perhaps even kind of um, make the flavor profile a little bit more um, familiar and a little bit more dynamic, then maybe that would be a nice way to kind of transition people into kombucha. So I came out with my, what was called back then a citrus, which was essentially just lemon and lime juice. And then my next flavor was our, my gingerade, which really is what put me on the map because it was a beautiful combination of ginger root, which people that are sophisticated and really into the health food world understand the health benefits of ginger. Um, it was fresh pressed ginger, of course, so it was very, you know, very clean and crisp flavor. And I think the name gingerade really appealed to a lot of people. It made them feel like lemonade or something like that. And that was really when I started to see a clear, the clear path of what lied ahead for me and my product offerings. And that was kind of the beginning of flavor innovations. Um, you know, I, I had the original citrus and gingerade for probably a good two to three years of the beginning of my journey. And then probably around year three is when I started to introduce fruit juices, um, like cranberry and strawberry and things of that nature that also added a little bit of sweetness, but not too much. Um, I never used more than, you know, call it 5% fruit juice because I was never trying to make a fruit juice beverage. I really wanted it to be primarily a kombucha beverage. Um, but to answer your question, that was the beginning of my flavor innovations, which to today, up till today, we have about 30 flavors. Wow, 30, wow. Wow, which are the best-selling ones? It varies. I mean, um, you know, I like to think that we've done a good job of creating something for everyone, right? So we have um, ginger flavors, which are kind of spicy and pungent, and then we have, you know, tart fruit flavors like cranberry, um, we have sweeter flavors like strawberry and mango and guava. And then we have more kind of sophisticated flavors like we use organic chia seeds. For some flavors, we use um, kind of floral flavoring like lavender and hibiscus and bilberry. And as well as very, very functional flavors like our multigreen, which is essentially blue-green algae, chlorella, and spirulina. So... They're all popular in their own respect. Um, of course, I think Gingerade, because it was my first, is still the darling of the line. Um, but there are others that people really love as well. I've got a bottle here, actually. Look at that. <laughs> I brought it back. Oh, there you go. So that must be one of your favorite flavors as well, Trilogy. Oh, yes. Trilogy is definitely one of my darlings. Um, the reason why I love Trilogy is that when I created Trilogy, I was really trying to create, you know, a singular expression that transcended its ingredients. So that's why, so Trilogy is a lemon raspberry ginger, but I didn't want to call it that. I really wanted to call it something else. And so naturally with those three ingredients, um, the tr Trilogy, which, you know, is, uh, you could argue has almost like a religious connotation um, or speaks to something greater um, you know, there was a very strong um, aspiration that I had at the time to create something that spoke to people, again, beyond the ingredients. So Trilogy is definitely one of our best sellers as well. I love the label. It's one of the rare labels that utilizes kind of a, a rainbow graphic, which, you know, it's very interesting in this day and age. Rainbow, here in the U.S. at least, and I think even throughout the world, is an, an indication of diversity, 
um, and you know, a, a, a celebration of diversity. And so Trilogy, in many ways, has become our flagship flavor for, for that kind of philosophy. I loved the, um, I had a couple, but they got used up, but I had the sharing gratitude bottles that you did. They were really beautiful. Thank you. And yes, that's the beginning of uh, a certain way of us expressing ourselves. We're, we like to come out with these seasonal um, limited flavors that not only are tied to the season, so like gratitude was carrot, turmeric, and ginger, which you know, and had a nice kind of bright orange quality, which very was that and the yeah, the idea of that and gratitude was very appropriate for Thanksgiving, which here in the U.S. is at the end of the year. Um, we we actually have a new flavor out right now that's, that was inspired by gratitude. It's called Liberty, and it's a um, original artwork again, very similar to gratitude, where it's screen printed art on the bottle, which means the artwork is permanently adhered into the glass and. The artwork that we leveraged for Liberty was naturally the Statue of Liberty, Liberty um, torch, which has a variety of meanings, but one of them is enlightenment, which enlightenment is very important to us as a brand, and we think it's important to kombucha because we believe that when you consume kombucha, it kind of opens up your consciousness, um, and you see the world differently, and that's a version, of, to me, of, of enlightenment. So anyway, back to Liberty, it's uh, watermelon, cherry, and lime, all fresh pressed, and um, it's going to be here in the U.S. from, it kicked off the beginning of June, and we'll run through the end of summer, going away around middle of September. Amazing. I always wonder how you get consistency of flavor. I brew kombucha myself at home, and it tastes so different day to day. It must be, I just, it blows my mind how you can get such a consistency of flavor over such a massive product range how do you how do you ensure that well honestly it's we just nurture our kombucha with a lot of love you know we've i've learned a thing or two in the 22 years that i've been making kombucha um you know i would i I don't want to say i'm an expert or a pro because i think i'm far from that um as i said earlier you know i believe that what i do and what my team does is we're very much kind of nurturers and facilitators of nature and so it's really just nature that dictates how it what the outcome is but to answer your question I mean we create a consistent um, loving warm environment for our batches to brew you know we make them in very small batches smaller than four gallons Um, and so to us it's very much a way that a farmer tends his crop as I said earlier it's really just you know I don't think in nature you could create a single plant that would yield all the fruits or vegetables that an entire you know world would need. It, the way farms work is obviously you have a plant for a certain amount of you know yield, and so that's how we are. As we see our small batches as very much honoring nature's kind of small scale and intimate scale, and that allows us to again be very close and authentic to what we do. And of course, we don't do any trickery or any kind of doctoring up of our kombucha. I mean, unfortunately, I think in this day and age, um, as kombucha becomes more popular, I think some brands and some companies are choosing to cut corners, whether that's, yeah, whether that's artificially carbonating, which we do not do, or adding additional kind of qualities to it to make it seem more alive or give it a certain flavor profile. We don't do any of that. We essentially just allow our kombucha the you know, liberty, if you will, to be its authentic self. 
um, fully raw, fully handcrafted, straight from the batch, and that's it. Four gallons, so that is tiny. You must have millions of them. Um, I wouldn't say we have millions, but we have a lot. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll have a million or more. Um, but yeah, I mean, we definitely have a lot. And again, that's something that I think people assume we don't do, right? Because especially here in the U.S., people look at our market presence and they look at our market share and they see that, you know, we're quote unquote sold everywhere. So they think, wow, they must be like a Coca-Cola that's just mass producing it. And we're not and we never will because that's not our philosophy or value. Um, to us, you know, naturally we want to make the best kombucha. So that's priority number one. And then number two is we really want to honor the authenticity of kombucha and what it stands for. And to me, I'd never jeopardize that. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why we remain a small batch production. So how many do you produce in a day? Oh, gosh, countless. I mean, it's really hard to quantify because it's, it's I think the best answer is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have any figures for like an annual amount or a monthly um, well, we, well, first of all, as a company, we're very private, so we don't disclose figures. So we never talk about, um, you know, production scale. Um, or volume. We don't talk about our dollar sales or anything like that. So unfortunately, I can't give you any more of a specific answer with other than saying it's just a lot. And it's probably more than you can even imagine. Yeah, because it's everywhere. Like it's in just a, a store on the corner. It's not just in the health food stores, is it? It's, it's yeah. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, and that, that wasn't an easy accomplishment, as I said earlier, is um, you know, again, we've been around for 22 years. So just to give some comparison, most brands today have not even been around for two years. So, um, you know, again, we, we are excited by everybody that wants to make kombucha. And, you know, we embrace every brand because we feel like we're all part of the greater good. However, you know, it's been a long journey for us. And so I think it's easy to dismiss our success or even try to undermine it, but people sometimes don't realize the you know the dues that we paid in the two decades that we've been doing this. That you know, yes, we're a quote unquote everywhere today, but that didn't come without tireless sacrifice and commitment and effort, and you know, not taking no for an answer, and really just be being confident that what we were doing was was meant to be shared with the world. Of course. I never get bored of it because, again, the beauty of kombucha is that it's, it's a living thing. You know, just like I think a farmer never gets tired of tending to his crops and watching nature at its finest. You know, I'm, I, I believe nature is the, cre is the greatest artist and the greatest creator. And, again, I don't believe that we are creating kombucha or that we created kombucha. We're just kind of, you know... Um, facilitators in that and so I feel blessed on a daily basis never take it for granted that making something like kombucha is really a beautiful thing and I'm honored to be a part of it. So how much do you drink yourself in a day usually? I drink a lot um, probably more than what I'd recommend people drink but to answer your question I drink about a gallon and a half wow. which you know I know you're you're in the UK so you probably you think in liters, um, but yeah, it's, it's quite a bit. It's about, um, you know, eight, let's call it eight half liters, uh -huh. 
excuse me, 12 half liters, so call it like six liters um, a day. And the reason why I drink so much is not because I like think that that's the amount that someone should drink. I drink it because I taste test every batch that we produce and, you know... Every batch. Yeah, and so I'm intimately involved with what we do and actually that creates a lot of sampling. So I can drink, you know, even up to two gallons a day. And and by the way, I always feel great. I mean, I must say in kind of my health food experience that there's it's very rare to find any one thing that you can drink daily and consistently and not reach a point of where your body's like, okay, no more. I mean, I've done, you know, wheatgrass. I've done other very um, almost therapeutic and medicinal foods. But after a certain point, even carrot juice, for, for instance, at a certain point, my body's like, I need to take a break. Um, with kombucha, however, it's very similar to water for me is that it's essentially just like essential to life. Um, I never feel like I've consumed too much. Even if I go like a day or two without it, my body says, hey, can we get some kombucha? Um, so it really is. It's, it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. For, for people that are new to it or I don't know so much about it, could, could you say what you believe the main benefits are to drinking it daily? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, and this is something that I had to express early on so people could identify or understand what kombucha is. So kombucha is a fermented food, right? And so fermented foods are not new to any of, any of us, even here in the U.S. I mean, yogurt's a fermented food. Kimchi is a fermented food. Sauerkraut, miso, tempeh, beer, wine. I mean, it goes on and on, right? And fermented foods initially started off as a natural way of us preserving our foods. This is before we had resources such as refrigeration and, and freezing or freezers. And, and so it's been around for centuries. Um, I mean, fermented foods go back to like 221 BC, right? So they definitely are nothing new. Um, and so, so, you know, the... 221 BC, was that the Romans, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there was a lot going on then. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, you know, kombucha, like fermented foods, is beautiful because it's 100% natural. It is nature's way of, you know, maximizing the good of food and minimizing the bad. And so that's essentially what fermentation is. Fermentation is nature's way of creating kind of a, a um, shield, if you will, to bad bacteria and unfavorable qualities that normally cause foods to spoil, you know, mold, um, bad bacteria, things of that nature. And in doing so, not only does nature find a way to protect the fermentation through this kind of chemistry, but when you ingest these foods, they do the very, a very similar thing inside your body. You know, they fight off bad bacteria, they fight off mold, they fight off yeast, they help, you know, replenish the intestinal flora that's inside our digestive system that I think only until recently have we truly identified the importance of a healthy gut. Um, You know, it it helps counteract the antibiotic epidemic that we've, I think, experienced in the last decade or two where we are killing, in, in an effort to fight disease and fight infections, we have created these antibiotics that, yes, they're good for severe cases, but shouldn't be used casually, which unfortunately I think we 
have created a very casual usage of antibiotics and you know it's created a domino effect of health problems whether that's poor digestion whether that's um, allergies whether that's skin issues um, you know just it has wreaked havoc in the body and has essentially created an imbalance and so kombucha like most fermented foods helps restore that balance and so what I have said so many times especially to people who are doubters or, or, or who question and try to challenge what kombucha is and dismiss it and say it's like a snake oil. I always say, listen, kombucha is not an end-all cure-all, right? It's essentially part of an overall healthy diet and lifestyle that kombucha itself, like most health foods, brings in nutrients and qualities that support a healthy body. And what kombucha does specifically is it helps to detoxify the body, whether that's the liver or the gut or other areas of the body. So the body can be restored to a more balanced state and then therefore the body can heal itself. And I think that's really important because I think especially in this day and age, everybody's looking for, you know, the silver bullet. You know, take this pill, drink this shot, inject this, whatever it is, they think that that's just going to make their problems go away. And what's important to understand is life doesn't work that way right? Um, you need to work with your body on a holistic level. And that's why foods like kombucha that work with the body on a holistic, holistically are so beneficial because they're very gentle on the system, number one. Then number two is they really help with a variety of things. Because again, once the body is restored to a balanced state, people notice better energy, sleeping better, better skin, better hair, um, better elimination, which you know, a healthy gut ties to the to kind of the ability to have regularity, which I think you know it's not a very sexy topic, but it's important you know <laughs> to make sure that what comes what you put in your body comes out, and you know honestly that concept or that topic on its own shines a very bright light on some of the deficiencies I think in not only the American diet but also just in the the diet across the world. I mean. We, you know, we eat dairy, we um, eat processed foods, we eat artificial foods, and they start to wreak havoc on your insides. And people aren't, you know, going to the bathroom like they used to, and that's very bad because, candidly, things start to rot inside your system, and and that rotting and putrefaction is the precursor to parasites, is the precursor to cancer. You know, it's the beginning of a very bad situation, and so that's why. Again, foods like kombucha help address that. Yeah. I feel for me personally, the biggest benefit I get is I just, I have so much more focus and clarity. I usually drink it in the morning and it just gives me such a boost. Maybe like other people have coffee, because like, I don't drink coffee, but I feel like it's the same kind of thing where it just kind of puts me in the zone. Of course. Yeah, and again, that's, that's the number one quality about kombucha that I think is is why it's reached such popularity, right? Is that it's the opposite of a snake oil. And what I mean by that is when you drink kombucha, even if you don't know what it is, right? Like my parents didn't really know what kombucha was when they first heard about it. All they knew is it, it made them feel great. And so that's kind of like the, the, the power of kombucha and these types of foods is that say what you will or, or honestly say nothing and just allow somebody to drink a few ounces or eight ounces or 16 ounces or whatever and honestly their body will tell them how they feel 
And almost everybody comes back and they say, wow, I had a stomach ache, it's gone away. I had a headache, it's gone away. I was tired, I now have energy. I couldn't sleep, I now can sleep. And it just goes on and on about kind of the um, relationship that people develop with kombucha and it really is why it's becoming kind of a staple in people's diets, just like you described, like coffee and tea in the past has become a, a staple in people's diets because it makes them feel a certain way. But of course, unlike coffee that gives you energy and then you crash, kombucha gives you energy and, and that's it. There's no aftermath, there's no butt, there's no any of that. Doesn't it promote serotonin as well? Doesn't it encourage the body to release serotonin? It does, yeah. Could you speak on the... Because um, I know people worry about the sugar, and I heard a really good quote one time. Somebody said, the sugar's not for you, it's for the SCOBY. <laughs> but could yes. you speak on the sugar and the, also the caffeine and the alcohol content? Yes, so I'd love to. So first of all, you know, we live in a day and age where we demonize everything, right? So you de- right now we're demonizing sugar. You know, we're just, we're kind of demonizing caffeine, even though it seems like every day there's a different health report that one day says caffeine's healthy, the next day they say caffeine's bad. Um, alcohol, same thing. You know, one day you hear alcohol's bad, and next thing you hear al- alcohol in under moderation is actually healthy. So just what I'd like to address is how those three things apply to kombucha. So any fermented food needs an energy source. So again, using the analogy of kombucha being like a plant, is like a plant, it needs sun, it needs air, and it needs the nutrients in the soil. And the nutrients in the soil could be, you know, fertilizer, which candidly is animal waste, right? So clearly... If you think of a plant that's utilizing nutrients that comes from fecal matter, that's not very sexy, right? But at the end of the day, that's what the plant needs. Mm-hmm. So with kombucha, it's very similar. It needs oxygen. It needs um, a version of kind of um, sunlight, which is kind of the what the tea is. And um, the third thing is it needs energy source. It needs a nutrient. So like the fertilizer example, it needs a carbohydrate source because like any living thing, energy comes from carbohydrates. Again, carbohydrates is something that we've also demonized until recently. I think we see carbohydrates with more balance. But anyway, so whether it's yogurt, that it's the sugars in the milk, or whether it's the you know vegetables where you have the starches in the vegetables, or in kombucha where you need some kind of carbohydrate source, you need a version of sugars. Right, so you know that could be pure cane sugar, that could be a fruit juice sugar, that could be even a honey or agave or maple syrup or something. Now, of course, all these different forms of sugar have pros and cons to them, not necessarily to to people, because again, and I'll get this to in a, in, in a second, these sugars aren't used for flavoring; they're used as an energy source for the kombucha. So. Um, you know, the, the sugars that work the best is primarily fruit juice and cane sugar for kombucha. And you need it as kind of an initiator or a catalyst for the fermentation. Without it, it, kombucha won't ferment and therefore nothing will happen. And so, you know, we, like anybody making kombucha, needs a sugar source. Um, we use, um, depending on what, on what offering we're talking about, we've used cane sugar and we've also used fruit juice. And 
then that is the beginning of the fermentation. You know, it's tea, a carbohydrate source, and the kombucha culture itself, which again is a physical living thing, much like a plant. And it sits in that um, kind of sweetened tea medium and utilizes all the tannins in the tea, utilizes all the carbohydrates in the source of sugar, um, and converts those into what we call kombucha. And that's why at the end of that fermentation, you have very little sugar, you have very little caffeine, you have, but what you have in exchange is quite a bit of uh, organic acids, which is very similar to what you find in like raw apple cider vinegar, which also uses the apple juice as a sugar source. Um, you have these probiotics and you have enzymes. Um, and so that's really the trade-off is you start off with ABC ingredients and you end up with kind of XYZ ingredients. Um, in addition to that, through the fermentation, alcohol is almost always a byproduct of authentic fermentation. And there's a reason for that, is that alcohol is a version of a natural preservative that nature creates to protect itself. And, you know, kombucha is no exception. So there's always a little bit of alcohol presence in kombucha because it's part of the natural fermentation. Now, just to be clear, it's nowhere in any level that is anything close to a beer, a wine, a distilled spirit. Um, you know, candidly, alcohol forms in ripened fruit. You know, alcohol forms in sauerkraut and other fermented foods. But I think alcohol has become controversial to kombucha because kombucha is a beverage. And people get a nice, healthy buzz when they drink kombucha. And that's primarily because it's detoxifying their liver. But people don't believe that. They think, oh, it must be the alcohol. And so they spend a lot of time and attention trying to demonize or dismiss the alcohol in kombucha. Um, and it's really m misplaced energy. You know, again, people, ever since I started making kombucha, I knew that there was alcohol in it because I understood the chemistry of fermentation. But in addition to that, I don't drink alcohol on my own. And, you know, I'm a very, therefore I'm a very lightweight. I can't drink beer or wine without getting drunk very quickly. And as I explained earlier, I drink quite a bit of kombucha. You know, I drink a gallon and a half to two gallons a day. And I promise you, I never, ever feel drunk. I never feel intoxicated. I never feel buzzed. I always feel great. And so, you know, again, that's why it's always frustrating to hear people dwell on alcohol because it's really people who are just trying to find a way to poke holes in something so special and so pure as kombucha. Mm -hmm. You have to test, don't you? They don't let you send it over a certain level, do they? Well, well, yeah. Again, in this day and age, we have created kind of um, arbitrary definitions of alcoholic versus non-alcoholic, right? So in the U.S., it's 0.5% or below is non-alcoholic. Other parts of the world, it's 1%. Um, again, first of all, it, goes, it should go without saying that the alcohol in kombucha is, still, is even a different kind of alcohol than what you would get out of something else. So your body doesn't even react to it like it does true alcohol, like in vodka or tequila or something. So that's important to understand. Um, but in addition to that, it's, it's nowhere near a level that could get somebody intoxicated. Because candidly, even if you drank an excessive amount, which you know I believe I drink with my two-gallon daily routine, other stuff happens before you get drunk. I mean, you'll go to the bathroom or something like that. Um, 
so it's so again to call kombucha anything with the term alcohol in it or alcoholic i think is is really inappropriate and um you know inaccurate last question then can i just ask you you are a raw foodist don't you i well i i can't say that i'm a raw foodist because to me that means i'm a hundred percent raw um which i'm not i i have been and i've loved it um however it's I notice, you know, I'm a big believer in moderation. And, you know, I believe that you listen to your body. And I, I notice at certain times of the year, my body craves warm foods, whether that's a really good soup or whether that's oatmeal or something like that. And, you know, I like to believe I'm a version of an athlete, um, even though I don't play sports, but I'm very athletic. And I notice that um, I kind of nice, very satisfying food, whether that's like steamed sweet potatoes or oatmeal really give me sustained energy. And um, that's why those are the foods that I utilize that aren't raw. But I believe that whenever possible, you should minimize the processing of your foods and therefore keep them as raw and pure as possible. So with the exception of the foods that I mentioned, yams, sweet potatoes, oatmeal, things of that nature, um, I am very big into whole foods, un cooked, unpasteurized, unrefined raw foods. And I would say my diet probably consists of about, I'd say 60 to 75% raw foods. I'm vegan, you're vegan. Yes, I am vegan. And I was raised a vegetarian. And, you know, I have friends that aren't vegetarian. And of course, I gently try to encourage them to consider it. I always say the story of, listen, I understand that being a vegan or vegetarian is not something that most people are used to, right? We're conditioned, we're programmed a certain way, we're raised a certain way. I, fortunately, was not raised that way, so it's so vegetarianism is something that's very natural and familiar for me. I must say, I was raised a vegetarian for the first 10 years of my life, and then my parents turned to us, to myself and my brothers, and said, all right, kids, we raised you a vegetarian, go ahead and eat whatever you want, because... We believe that we've told you what's the best way, but we want you to find that for yourself, to find out what works for you the best. And, you know, being 10 years old, I was had, I think, a little bit of a rebellious streak, so I immediately went to, like, McDonald's and <laughs> steak and chicken and all of that. And I loved the way it tasted. I thought it was savory and delicious and all that. But I quickly realized what I didn't like is I didn't like how it made me feel. And the way I could describe the way meat made me and makes me feel is very heavy, very dead. Um, and you know, what's ironic is I think that's the feeling that people, when they go from a meat kind of diet and move to a plant-based diet, they somehow ironically miss that heavy feeling. They're been programmed to think that that's what it, that's how you're supposed to feel when you eat food. You're supposed to be feel full and satisfied, you know, almost even lethargic. And I always say to people, no, 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 no. It's actually the opposite, that being tired and feeling heavy is your body saying, wow, this is really draining my energy store. Yeah. And this is really heavy for my system to digest. Yeah. And, you know, they've even released studies that, you know, plant-based foods can take maybe an hour to digest. But meats can take like 12 to 18 hours to digest in your system, and during and during that digestion digestive process, your 
essentially pulling energy from the rest of your body, whether it's your muscles, whether it's your brain, whether it's whatever, and, and that's not good. And so again, going back to your um, question, is that's why I love a plant-based lifestyle, is I really do believe that it is such the way to be. It's clear, it's pure, it, you see it in your eyes, you see it in your skin, you feel it in your soul, that it's just your body radiates with life because again, you know, people forget that you can't have life, you get what you give, right? And you, you get out what you put in. And if you're not putting life into your body, how do you expect your body to live a long life? I mean, it's very simple. So that's my philosophy. I guess we all should be massively grateful to your parents and for raising you on the diet and for teaching you about kombucha. Yes, I, that's what I say. I'm eternally grateful to have parents that in their own right were pioneers yeah. that um, saw the world differently and therefore exposed myself and my brothers to a different way of life and it's who I am today. Well, thank you so much. It's been really, really wonderful to talk to you and learn more about your company. Thank you. It's been an honor to talk to you. Thank you for allowing me to share my story.